Good evening. Wisdom Eccentrics by Nat Chang Rinpoche. Chapter 33, Part 2. By 1983, I had my first students. Jimmy Riggs in Rinpoche got to know many of them quite well over the years. This was why he never encouraged me to practice with his students. I was an anomaly. I was possibly the only Western person to have students in the context of Vajrayana at that time, and it had occurred by accident. I was asked if I'd fill in at the Lamrim Buddhist Centre in Wales when a yoga teacher double-booked himself. The idea was that I would give a slideshow because Gelsulama Sultrim Zangmo knew me to have a large collection of slides on Tibetan art and ritual objects. I gave the slideshow and was asked questions as to the meaning of the images. This inevitably led to my moving from the role of lecturer to Lama. I was invited back to teach Buddhism and the rest followed on. I'd suddenly become a person who had a small group of students. One of Chimmy Rigson Rinpoche's extracurricular pursuits in Holland was to visit flea markets. He'd go once a week to gather clothes for Tibetan refugee children. He'd then bail them and ship them back to India. One day, however, he found an old slide projector and added that to his purchases. Now, one of the things I'd learnt from Chimmy Rigson Rinpoche was that I was not careful enough in my speech. I liked to please. I liked to be liked by him and tended to speak a little indirectly at times. I thought I'd evulsed my liking to be liked idiocy, but Rinpoche went mining for more of that ore. I was in Neuerwurstleis in Holland, sleeping in a tent. I'd saved up the money to get to be with Chimmy Riggs in Rimsche, and enough to pay the contribution for the teachings, but that was it. Bed and board were extra, and I didn't have the extra. A kindly local farmer let me pitch my tent free, and I was faced with a month without food. That was no big problem, however, because I'd noticed an interesting phenomenon at the Amsterdam railway station restaurant. People would arrive, order a meal, take a few hurried bites and then leave in an urgent hurry. It occurred to me quite quickly that these people were afraid of missing a train. So, if I were to slide in quickly before being spotted by the waiter, I'd have a free meal. The meals had to be paid in advance there, so I wasn't going to be approached with a bill. My custom was to go to Amsterdam every time Chimmy Riggs in Rinpoche made a flea market expedition. There was no teaching being given, so I was at liberty to assuage my hunger. I'd get a lift in with Rinpoche and then hitchhike back. I'd eat as many meals as I could manage, rather like a boa constrictor, 
and then live for a while on the nutrition thereby derived. It was a workable system, for a young man at least, and it enabled me to stay in Holland for the teachings and empowerments given by Rinpoche. So, back to the old slide projector. One day I got back quite early from feasting in Amsterdam and was there in the living room when Rinpoche returned. He showed me the slide projector and asked what I thought of it. It's worthless, Rinpoche, I replied, feeling that I'd learnt my lesson with regard to being mealy-mouthed. Why you say this? he asked quite sharply. Because it has no lens and no slide carriage. It's not a professional model like my Kodak carousel. In fact, it's pretty low-end and I doubt if you could even get a lens for it. Even so, it wouldn't be worth it. It would cost more than it's worth to fix it and even if you could, you'd just have a poor quality projector at the end of it. Rinpoche eyed me and I started to feel slightly uneasy. I'd been straight and I'd been completely accurate in my assessment. So why was I feeling tentative? Yeah, so you say this is worthless. Yes, Rinpoche, it's worthless. Nothing can be done. Then I made a hideous error. Well, I replied, plugging it in, the fan works. And so, he inquired brusquely, and so maybe something could be made out of that. Yeah, what making possible? Now, I knew that I couldn't say, I don't know, because then he'd say, then why you say this? Trapped. Well, Rinpoche, maybe it could be turned into a desktop fan. And you are all this doing? There was only one answer to that. Yes, Rinpoche, but I'll need to buy some materials. No, he declared with distinct resolution. Nothing spending. You worthless saying, so not more money wasting. Damn, not even tools. What was I going to do with this vile assortment of grey plastic? I had no immediate idea. And you must be as much using as possible from this projector. There must be much saving, so less money is being lost. I grinned and agreed. Certainly, Rinpoche, it will be one of the wonders of the world. Rinpoche laughed. Yeah, 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 very wonderful. I worked all the next day, which was fortunately a day off and part of the following day. I carved a semicircular base from an old mahogany chest of drawers that had been thrown into the garden. I had to use a bread knife and hold the wood against a brick with my foot. The wood kept slipping and when it did, I'd invariably nick the skin on my knuckles. 
There was enough of my blood in the wretched piece of wood to classify it as a close familial relation. The wood then had to be sanded with the edge of the brick and wire wool kitchen abrasive. I cut the plastic cowling with a knife heated on the cooker gas flame and made screw holes in it with a heated screwdriver. I perforated the back of the cowling in the same way and fitted a piece of old perforated zinc into the front of the device. I incorporated the on-off switch and the rubber grommet from the flex and it was finished. I cleaned the thing up as best I could with a kitchen scourer and plugged it in. It worked. It was as ugly as hell, but the air moved in the right direction. I'd done what I claimed I was able to do. I was bleeding and aching, but content. I gave it to Rimshay with some small sense of pride. He plugged it in, saw that it worked, and tossed it into his suitcase. Yeah, good. That was it. Yeah, good, I thought. Well, so why did I need praise or even thanks? There was no cause for me to be sulky about it. Unfortunately, I decided not to indulge that feeling beyond the time it took me to recognise that there was no future in such indulgence. I was just about to go to my tent and sit in the dark for the rest of the evening when Rinpoche called me. I ask Margaret, and you eat with us now. She tells me you have no money to eat because you spent all to come here. Yes, Rinpoche, that's true, but that wasn't a problem. Thank you for inviting me to dinner. I shall enjoy that. This came near the end of the period of teachings, but I was grateful nonetheless. Rinpoche was always very kind to me and looked after me in many ways. He saw to it that I received a doctorate from the University of Santinakatan, West Bengal, where he was the head of Indo-Tibetan studies. The doctorate was based on two books, various writings and oral examination. Rinpoche was sorry that I'd been short-circuited at art school and had been unable to go to the Royal College of Art in London as I'd planned and thought it would be good if I had some academic recognition for my work in the field of Vajrayana Buddhism. In 1987, Kyabje Dujam Rinpoche, Jigdral Dorje, passed away and the shock was considerable. I knew that I would have to lose him eventually, but when I heard the news, I was stunned. It was almost as if someone pulled the plug on the life support machine. An age of the world had ended, and I sat in a state of blankness without thought, but humming like an electrical device whose circuits were about to blow. Dujam Rinpoche was born in 1904, in southern Tibet, in the hidden land of Pemaka. He passed away on 17th of January 1987 in the Dordogne. 
His father was Katog Tulku Nobu Tenzin from Pemaka, descended from Nyatri Zangpo and the king of Powo, Kanam Depa. His mother, Namgyal Droma, was descended from Terton Ratnalingpa. The last time I'd been able to speak privately with Dujam Rimshe was in 1983, and since then I, I had only been able to see him in large audiences. He always smiled when he saw me, and always spoke when I went up to receive a blessing after a teaching. But private interviews were highly guarded and time was strictly limited. Lamas become surrounded by people whose main job is to keep people away. There was no need for words anymore and no need for private discussions. The one glance Dujam Rinpoche gave me in the crowd was quite enough to let me know that I was as close to him as I ever was. I had no business requesting personal time with the lineage holder of the Dujam Ter and the head of the Nyingma tradition on whom so many people relied. The last words he spoke to me when I received his blessing in the Dordogne in 1986 were You have all you need in Kunzang Dorje. You will meet him again, but this may be our last meeting. You remember your promise to me. I see this. You have now started to establish the Gurkha Changro Day in the West. You have now started to establish the Gurkha Changlo Day in the West. That statement was puzzling to me. No one at that time had taken ordination, but as on many other occasions, it became clear to me that Dujam Rimshe was looking into the future. The students who were to take ordination were already my students, and it was only a matter of time. The first person I ordained was Nordzin Palmo, and I was glad this first person was a woman. This was a good sign, and I was happy that I had begun to fulfil my promise. I did not know where it would lead, but I knew that all I had to do was continue. In 1991, Kyabje Dilgo Kyentse Rinpoche passed away. He was born in 1910 in the Denhok Valley of Derge, Kam. His family were directly descended from King Trisong Deitsen. He was an incarnation of Jamyang Kyentse Wangpo. His passing was, again, a shock to the system. The old world I'd known was disappearing with relentless rapidity. It's not that I thought my Tsawai Lamas would live forever, but the world seemed different. Emotionally, it was as if the Industrial Revolution had just commenced and the world of Jane Austen was beginning to slip away. Ridiculous analogy but I know of no other way of expressing it. 
The difference it made to the world to have lost Dudjum Rimshe and Dilgo Kientse Rimshe is impossible to explain to anyone who had not met them.